Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. Here again, God's word for you and for me this day. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, from this old prayer and this old letter, Help us to pray and to hear. Amen. There's a particular type of email I receive pretty regularly, often from Trinity folks, sometimes from neighbors or colleagues in ministry. And it says something to the effect of, what are we going to do about X? And then it laments about some piece of the world's brokenness. In just the last few weeks, some of these hopeful laments have come to ask how we, as people of faith, can do something to decrease the constant gun violence in our country. How we can better protect our young people from those who hide on the internet how we can be better stewards of God's creation, especially as the world steams with record heat day after day, how we can better support refugees who seek opportunity here and want to help others in their home countries, how we can be allies to returning citizens after incarceration. And that's just the last few weeks. Occasionally, I have a concrete action plan to offer to one of these, please, and that is so energizing. But often, 
I don't. If these were straightforward challenges, they might already be solved. And it can be discouraging, especially when we look at lots of pieces of brokenness all at the same time. But I am grateful when I receive these emails because they are expressions of faith. It's courageous to look at the world around us and see what isn't right. It is a faithful act to lament, even an email, to say, this is wrong. That's what lament is. It's not whining, but naming something that needs to be changed. And it's an expression of hope for a different future. Often when I read these emails, I hear the words of Romans 8. The Apostle Paul writes about the sufferings of the present. He says that creation is waiting, holding on to hope with eager longing. He invokes even the sound of lament. He says that creation is groaning, like a birthing mother groaning with labor pains, enduring what hurts while filled with hope for the new future that will come. The world is crying out. We groan too as the world gets hotter and more violent as the technology we've created endangers our relationships, as we wonder what to do in the face of structures so entrenched. I know I sometimes actually groan out loud, maybe you do too, as I scroll through the news app on my phone, or as I stand in this one particular spot in our kitchen where I pause and unfold the newspaper and lay it out so I can see the whole page at one time. Do you all do that too? I stand there at the counter and groan. No, not again. How long, O Lord? Those groans are prayers. Those emails are prayers. Their laments about what is now, rooted in hope that something else is to come. The Apostle Paul heard groans even back in first century Rome. Now, Paul's letter to the Romans is not a list of issues, as we might call them, but Paul sees the brokenness of the world. It's the backdrop to his writings. There's real pain. Early Christians knew suffering. They were faced with some of the same challenges we have now, especially how to live our faith in the midst of a broken world. It's hard to tease out Paul's meaning sometimes, especially just listening to it read aloud. But what Paul is trying to do is to acknowledge all that is hard and wrong and broken while also calling Christians to keep living their faith. That is the heart of our call, too. To be a Christian is to live in the space between what is already done and what has not yet come. Paul reminds us in encouraging words that grace is already ours. We're already adopted into the family of God, but the fullness of God's hope for the world is not yet. We live as in-betweeners, people already given grace, called to work 
toward what is not yet. That is why people write me those emails that say, what are we going to do about X? They are rooted in hope for what is not yet, hope for a different future, even as we groan along with creation. It sure would be nice if scripture spelled out an action plan for each of the things we groan about. It doesn't do that exactly, but it does show us how people of faith can live with grace in a world not yet healed. For the next several weeks, with a break in the middle for our good old-fashioned hymn sing, we're going to look together at some of Paul's writings in the book of Romans, paired each week with a psalm, an ancient prayer. For this series, we're going to look at countercultural practices of our faith, humility in a world where everybody is an expert, vulnerability in a world that prizes a particular kind of strength, gratitude in a world of entitlement, and willingness to be changed in a culture of self-righteousness. These are the action plans for people who still live in a world that groans, but who hope for what is not yet. These practices are what we are going to do about X. I've shared here before that I really love mysteries, fictional ones, true crime. I like it all. I grew up reading Nancy Drew. Anyone else? Agatha Christie. I think I was the only fifth grader who thought Miss Marple was the coolest. I enjoy the intrigue and the brain game of trying to solve a mystery before it is spelled out for me. One of my favorite current authors of mysteries is Louise Penny. And the central character in Louise Penny's works is named Chief Inspector Armand Gamache of the Sûreté de Québec, the provincial police force in Quebec, Canada. Inspector Gamache is a master at solving mysteries, but readers are drawn as much to his humanity as we are to his expertise as a detective. Inspector Gamache is a character who loves his family and his quirky small town of Three Pines. He wrestles with how to reconcile the good in people with the evil he sees acted out in the world. He carries around the pain of his cases. So if you read these books in order, you'll hear about past mysteries that accumulate weight for this round character. He sees humanity's brokenness over and over, and he's moved by the lives of his victims and their families. Despite being very good at his job, a true expert, he never brags. He never celebrates as he solves a case. He honors the dead. Because he is so skilled, Gamash gets the job of training new police officers and wannabe detectives. As you would expect with this kind of plot line, the newbies are problematic. Sometimes they're overeager, sometimes they're trying to impress him, or they're cocky, they're swaggering, they don't think anything of a detective who carries himself with humility. When Inspector Gamache starts to train a newbie, 
He says the same thing to them. There are four statements that lead to wisdom. Do with them as you will. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I don't know. And I need help. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I don't know. I need help. The recruits respond with either confusion or outright contempt. One is baffled. It makes no sense to her whatsoever that her boss is telling her to admit that she makes mistakes or that she needs help. The other recruit makes fun of Gamash, ridiculing him for being weak when he could make a show of force. He calls Gamash pathetic and a coward. These are people, characters, whose work is always in the shadow of violence. Their job is to find justice when someone's life has been lost. But in the face of what is broken, they don't take a posture of humility. They respond with a false confidence and aggression. They're fictional, of course, But as I read them, I can't help but think that their responses mirror our culture. We are conditioned to present ourselves as self-reliant, not to acknowledge that we need help. We are conditioned to believe that effectiveness comes with expertise, not in saying that we don't know. And these days, if someone doesn't have actual expertise, they claim it anyway. Ours is a world flooded with information. The internet makes everyone an expert or makes them think they are. We present ourselves as knowledgeable, confident, worthy of being followed. But our scriptures teach a different practice, one in which we all stand in need, in need of forgiveness, in need of grace, in need of help. We are still being formed, but not yet finished. We are not experts and masters in the face of the world's challenges, but people called to follow a humble servant. Humility is at the heart of our Christian faith. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know. I need help. That sounds so simple. But it's radical to practice humility in today's world. Think for a minute. If a person in a position of authority admits not knowing something, think about what happens. He or she is trounced by an opponent, ridiculed and called weak. When we as a culture try to have dialogue about the very things I listed a minute ago, Gun violence, the world's climate, the dangers of the internet, immigration and refugees, our culture of incarceration, any instinct toward humility is out the window. Instead of starting with, we don't know and we need help, instead of saying that we want to understand more and are willing to listen, we go to our corners We are already expert in whatever issue is at hand. We already think we know what needs to happen, and we stand ready to defend our posts. But friends, those practices are not working. 
They are not bringing change or bridging our differences. They are not the actions of people who are living in an already received grace. And they do not witness to the future for which we hope. So hard as it may be, countercultural as it may be, if we want to do something about X, let's start with humility instead. The psalm Jean just read, Psalm 86, is a psalm of lament. It's the prayer of somebody who's living under a threat of violence. We never know who they are exactly, but this person tells God, the insolent rise up against me. A band of ruffians seek my life. Remember this prayer if things are ever going badly. The insolent and the ruffians might be real. These are prayers for help. This prayer is a groan to God, clinging to the belief that God will change the future. But note, the psalmist doesn't pretend he knows best. He doesn't claim to know what he should do at all, and he certainly doesn't tell God what to do. The part of the prayer we just heard begins with, teach me. Teach me, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. I don't know. I need help. As we together go on living as people in between the already of God's grace and the not yet of a healed world, let's start there. When we groan about what hurts, May we put aside our instinct to claim expertise or defend a position. May we humble ourselves instead, praying to our God, teach me, O Lord, teach us, so that we might walk together in truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.